you have a Bible with you today, find the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter number two, uh, Matthew chapter two. We are in a series of messages just called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And uh, last week we talked about how everybody loves a good story, whether that's reading books or watching movies or whatever your thing is. We all love a story of some kind. And, and, and I was talking to someone this week and we were talking about our genealogy. And I don't know, raise your hand if you've ever like done Ancestry.com or went through all that stuff and tried to look into your history. Come on, is there more? there's got to be more than four of us okay, that have done that. Uh, but it is fascinating to, to find out some of the stories of your past and your history. And uh, I had some conversations with my parents and my grandparents before they had passed away. I had gotten all this stuff from all sorts of different family members, and I began to look through this stuff. This is a few years ago now. And there are some fantastic stories that came out of my family. In 1908, my great-great-grandfather got on a boat with his wife, to come to America. They were from Switzerland and his name was Gottfried. And I wish I would have known that because I would have named at least one of my kids Gottfried, but I didn't know it at the time. And so maybe they're safe from that. But uh, Gottfried and his wife uh, were from Switzerland and, uh, and they get on this boat uh, to go to America. And this was obviously a significant moment in their life and in, in my family and our future and all of that type of stuff. But they arrive in America and we don't know what happened because my great grandfather got on the boat, married to one woman and got off the boat with a different woman. And we don't know why. And we don't know how. And we don't know what happened to the other one. And my grandmother which this Gottfried would have been uh, dad, uh, my grandmother and her brothers and sisters never knew that their, that their father was married to somebody else. And so my line started when they got off the boat and I don't know what's going on with that. I found out I have another, I have another history family member that was from the northern tip of Norway. Uh, I don't even remember what his name is. Uh, and this is like great, great, great out there. Uh, but you know what he did for a living on the northern tip of Norway, which is, by the way, like Arctic Circle stuff? Uh, he was a whale hunter. Come on, somebody. I don't even know what that means, but think like Moby Dick, if you ever read that book, okay? And there's movies about this there, little tiny boats, and they go out and harpooning these massive whales and all craziness is breaking loose. And so in my, in my history, we've got tough guys with muscles and we've got beards and, uh, you know, good looking people. And you could just see how that carried on from one generation to the other. And so I just love that. But history is so fascinating. And there are so many stories that we can tell. Uh, incredible things done by incredible people uh, horrible things done by horrible people. And we have stories like that, stories that, of things that were forever changed because somebody did something or went somewhere. Uh, and I know not all of us are history buffs, and some of us, you don't, you don't care. Others of us nerd out on all sorts of that kind of things. But history can be fascinating as we look back at some different things. Life was so different. What a different world at different places and different times uh, all over. And the Christmas story is really an example of that. I don't know if you know this, but the Christmas story is not just a made-up thing. 
uh, the, the, there are historical accounts all over the place outside of the Bible that talk about this, this event happening in different ways and a Jesus, Jesus being born and a Messiah to the Jews and all of this type of stuff. Historical records uh, tell us that the story of the Bible okay, really happened. You know, now, now we, the, the historical records, could ar- you could argue about some of the supernatural pieces and all of that type of stuff, but the historical piece of Jesus being born really happened, uh, and, and it is just, it's a supernatural, beautiful, amazing story that we read about in the Bible. It is, uh, it is not only filled with intense, dramatic things, we got things like angels and kings and murder and drama, uh, but there's also just a bigger story happening. With this, in this entire thing, the story of how an incredible God reached down into our world and did something incredible. And that's why we're here. It's why we've gathered together. It's why we celebrate Christmas. It's why we have Christianity in any sort of way is that. And my prayer for you this season is that you would be awakened to the story of Christmas in a new way. And, and that you would experience Jesus this season. That, that is our prayer. That is our desire uh, that you would lean in, that you would draw near to God uh, and watch as he draws near to you, which is kind of a biblical thing that happens. Okay, that's enough of an introduction. I want to ask you to stand with me all over this place, and we're just going to begin by reading the Bible together. Uh, and so this is Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You can just follow along here as I read. Uh, And here's what it says. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Jesus, or when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem was with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. God, we... We just pause for a moment to sincerely invite you into this right here, right now. We, we desire to hear from you, and I pray that your very word would speak to us, would show us things, would teach us things. Uh, God, we are blessed, and we are amazed by what you have done and by who you are. Help us, God. We give this to you in your name we pray. Amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right. All right, here we go. Uh, There are two places in the Bible that tell the story of Christmas. Two places. Everything that we know 
about the birth of Jesus comes from those two places for the most part, Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke uh, chapter 2. And in each of these two accounts, we have different details, different parts of the story. Uh, In fact, Matthew is the only place in the Bible that has the story of the wise men. That's what we read just a moment ago. And so everything that we know about the wise men and that story, that side story, comes from what we just read together. Every piece, everything that we know is there. And there's a lot to this that we just don't know. And there's, there, there's a lot of things that we kind of guess on and we make assumptions on. Uh, for instance, the very simple question, how many wise men came to visit Jesus? Come on, you know this one, how many? Okay, the answer is we don't know. <laughs> just set you up. I, I, I knew all the smart people came to the second service, okay? And so I don't know what to say, but uh, wow, that, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that, okay? I'm going to get some emails. That's okay. Uh, but, but the reason that we say three wise men and that that's the song is because there was three gifts given. That's the only reason. So we really don't know. There, there's nothing in the story that says how many of them. They just had three gifts. So we just say, okay, three kings is what we do. Uh, so let's, there's a lot we don't know. Let's talk about what we actually do know about the wise men. And let's try to figure out why in the world are they even in the story of the birth of Jesus. And so let's start with who they were. Who were the wise men? Now, Now, Matthew's account of the story was originally written in Greek, and so he wrote this in Greek. We have an English translation, uh, which is why we have different words that are even used when we talk about the wise men. You can have the magi, and you can have kings, and whatever, you know, different things that we say uh, in that way. But the Greek word that is used, and you can put that slide up here for me, the Greek word that is used for the wise men is this word, Magos, magos, that's the Greek word, and it's defined this way, any person well-respected in the pagan world for their knowledge in the occult arts, especially astrology, medicine, and dream interpretation. And this word magos is, it's the root of our English word magician or magic, uh, but not like pull a bunny out of a hat kind of magician. It's someone more who specializes in the reading of the signs, is the way that I'll explain it. Uh, And so let's take this a little bit farther, which is helpful in understanding our story with the Magi in them. The ancient Middle Eastern world, the, the world that Jesus was born into, was very into mystical, supernatural things. All the time, it's the way they talked. It, it, was, it was like in their brain, in their mind. You have, okay, obviously all of the Greek gods and all of this type of stuff is a part of that world. All sorts of gods that did all sorts of things. And people believed that these gods were trying to constantly communicate to people. That this was happening all the time. And one of the main ways that the gods would communicate to people was through the sky. What was happening through the sky. And they would look up at night And they would see these brilliant, incredible stars and planets in the sky. uh, And they had no idea what they were. They they didn't have the knowledge and the, the science that we have today. And they'd think, they'd look up and they'd think, the gods are looking down at us. And then the stars would move. And they didn't understand the world turning and and all of that and they would say the stars are moving and they'd see comets or whatever moving across and all of this stuff and they would uh and and during certain seasons and so people begin to study the sky uh, in attempts to figure out what are the gods trying to communicate to us 
today, what are the gods saying? And, and certain things you would read, and they would read as supernatural signs from the gods. You kind of get the picture. And these people, the, the, known as magi, would often be paid a bunch of money by kings and rulers to tell them what the gods were saying and to give them advice on what they should do. Should we go to war? What are the gods saying? And they look up at the stars and say, the gods are saying, go to war. Uh, are we going to have a good harvest? And how should we do this? And whatever. And they would look up and these magi would, would give kings advice. And so this is the root of, this, of, of what these people are and the, and, the, and the word that we have. Of course, we know all of this uh, was bologna, which is, that's the Greek word for baloney, if you didn't know that, okay? But the gods, like they thought that the gods were there, but the gods that they're thinking about are, they're, they're non-existent. This is all fake. It's not real in any way, uh, but these are the people that then show up in the story of Jesus, in the Christmas story. They're pagan, uh, they're mystical, they're kind of religious weirdos in a way. It's really what we have, and they're in the story because of this star. So do you see kind of how things kind of come together now? This star really is this, the, the, the thing that connects all of this. And so we don't know exactly where this came from or where they came from. Uh, the Bible just says they came from the east. So we don't know exactly what that means. There are all sorts of theories, okay? But we really don't know. But what we do know is they were not Jewish, like, the, like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, and, and they did not worship the one true God. They didn't do that. These are foreign, pagan, ungodly people who are messed up in false religions and beliefs, and they are, the f- they are some of the first to come and worship baby Jesus. It's interesting in that way. Uh, and of course, there's more to the story within those 12 verses. We read about uh, King Herod, and I'm going to put slides here on the screen, even though I'm not going to read it. And so these magi arrive in Jerusalem, and they go to the king, and, and they say, where is this newborn king? Where is this king that is going to be born? And uh, Jerusalem is actually about six or seven miles from Bethlehem uh, geographically. Jerusalem was home to a horrible man named King Herod. Historically, you read about this king and it'll make you vomit. The, the, the guy, like uh, history tells us, he murdered like most of his family members. He murders all of his kids because he's like worried that they're going to take the throne from him. Uh, he, he actually kills his wife at one point because she confronted him about something. Historically, this, uh, like, this guy is, uh, like the word that I like to use to describe Herod is just like straight up loco, if I can say that. The, the guy is crazy. He, he's a crazy, uh, paranoid, emotionally unstable man historically. Uh, and, and, and these wise men come to this king and they say, where is the new king? being born. So you can picture now what's happening. And so King Herod has not heard of this baby king. So he lies to these men, tell them he wants to go worship them. But he actually, like, he just wants to kill the baby. Uh, and so they set out on their final few miles of this journey, six or seven miles from there. And they follow the star to where this place where Jesus was on coming to the house. And notice that I said house there. That's the word that is used in this story. This is not the night that Jesus was born, the wise men were never in the room with the shepherds. And so some of you are like, what? What do you mean? And so it really doesn't matter the story, except that I'm going to need you to go home and grab your nativity scene. And the wise men are going to need to be put on the other side of your house because they were not in the story. And I just can't, we just can't have that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this, this, is, this is later. This is later on a little bit in the story. It's not the night that Jesus 
was born. They were not with the shepherds in that way. Uh, And so back to the story of the wise men. They arrive at the house. They find the baby Jesus with Mary and Joseph. Actually, it just says Mary in the story. And so I don't know if Joseph was out getting groceries or something, but it just says they, they talked to Mary, okay? Uh, and they opened their treasures. They pre- presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts were given, like we said, which is why we call it Three Wise Men. These are extravagant gifts. This, these are, this is not like normal. This is, this is, these, are, these are rich people gifts, is what this are. Not poor, humble people like Mary and Joseph, like gold. Think, think straight pile of cash here is what gold is. Uh, and, and gold would have been extremely valuable. It would have been currency in different ways, very possibly worth more than Joseph made in an entire year uh, when you're talking about gold in this way, in the, in the context of this. Uh, and think about this with me. Shortly after Jesus is born and shortly after the wise men visit, uh, Joseph is going to have a dream that tells them to flee, to run away, because their life is in danger. We know that King Herod Uh, is going to set out and try to kill every baby two years old and younger in that entire region. Every baby boy. And um, so massive genocide, awful murder is a part of the story of Jesus being born. And we gloss over that, but could you imagine? Could you imagine that? Unbelievable. And so there's a dream that happens. Mary and Joseph are going to bail, and they're going to end up in Egypt. So question, how do these poor, uh, rural People leave everything that they have for the most part, make that entire travel. How do they afford this? Like he can't work anymore from where he's got to go to a new place and totally start. More than likely, and scholars would say, the wise men funded the safety of Jesus being born. Think about that. That's fascinating to me. I love that. Uh, more than likely paid for the wise men through their gift of gold. Uh, and so they, these pagan foreigners play a part in Jesus' safety as a baby. In that way, they also give frankincense, which is like incense. And at this point in history, incense and perfumes, uh, stuff like that was very important. Why? Because the people were stinky. Uh, if you've ever traveled to like a third world country of any kind where they have water issues, which is a huge part of our world, you just know people smell. Like they just can't, they, they can't take showers in the way that we do. They, they can't do that. And so we're in a culture here where they didn't, like washing themselves was a privilege and, and that type of stuff. And they didn't always have that. And so perfumes and smelling things was like a big deal in that way. There's no running water. There's no toilets. The people smell you. Like you think your teenager smells bad? This is real bad over here. Okay, so valuable gift. They also brought myrrh, which was an oil of kind that was used for all sorts of different things. But both, both frankincense and myrrh also have medicinal qualities as well. Extremely valuable gifts at the time of Jesus. And there's some, there's some symbolism in these gifts as well. And we, and we can't gloss over that. And we're not going to spend a ton of time in that. But both frankincense and myrrh uh, are used in burial procedures during this time as well. And so there's symbolism and foreshadowing. Uh, the gold and king and all this type of stuff is coming into the, but the wise men worship Jesus and they bring him these gifts. And this is a part of why we give gifts to our children and different things is God gave this gift. We now give gifts. That is uh, like what all of, all of this uh, fits together in that way. But, and then at this point, uh, the wise men get back on their way. They go home a different way than they came in order to avoid King Herod. And that is all we know. 
the story of the wise men. That's all we know about them. Uh, it's all we know about the Magi. And, and so I just want to make a very obvious observation here, and we'll move then to what we'll call an application. Basically, what do we do with this? Here's the observation about the wise men and the story. God used extremely unlikely people in the story of Jesus' birth. Like super unlikely people when we look at this. Uh, and I don't believe that this was just by chance. Uh, I, I believe that God 100% on purpose hand-selected who and when and how, what people are going to be involved in this story right here and play a part. But the wise men, like this is an interesting choice. Think through this with me just again. These aren't God-fearing people in the same way. These aren't God-worshippers. Uh, they are foreign. They are mystical. They are religious in all the wrong ways. They really are. Uh, they, they know nothing of the one true God. They're into the occult. Uh, they're into astrology, but not the good kind like science. They're into the weird kind of astrology uh, in that way. They were pagan. They worshiped false gods. They were way off in their belief and their understanding of all of that. Yet God chooses them completely on purpose to play a central role in the story of his very son coming to earth. And this is really a theme all throughout the Bible, by the way, unlikely people just show up in the, in the scripture again and again, unlikely people with unlikely characteristics. And you have the story of Moses, for instance, and this, this will be the 10 second thing, but like Moses saved, was a part of freeing the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. The guy like had the most horrible stuttering issue. And you can read about that. He couldn't even talk right. Uh, he kills someone early on in his life and God picks him and chooses him to go be a part of that. The shepherds in the story are not who you would pick to be in the story. Like if you're, if, think about if you're giving birth, like who do you pick, who do you want to be in the hospital room with you? Uh, I'd, I'd like the people who never take showers, smell really bad, sleep with the animals, and carry around a big stick. I don't know if they had a stick, but that's just a part of it. But okay, like I, I picture them walking in that night and Mary kind of whispering to Joseph, just don't let them touch the baby. You know, <laughs> like this is reality here of what we probably had going on with the shepherds in the story. Uh, and uh, who knows where their hands had been when the last time they cleaned okay, anything. Like they, they, they fit right in with the barn theme, I guess, is what they do. But it's crazy that the shepherds are in the story. And don't miss the fact that the shepherds and the wise men are, are complete polar opposites of each other. When it, when it comes to who they are. Go ahead and put that slide on the screen here for me. Like just a simple list to, to show this. The shepherds, Jewish people, Mary and Joseph, Jewish. Okay, Jesus, Jewish, all that type of stuff. Wise men, not Jewish, pagan, which is just religion outside of that. Okay, the shepherds, poor, wise men, wealthy, shepherds, local, wise men, foreign. I mean, think about this. The wise men travel hundreds of miles. They are wealthy. The shepherds are local. They run to see the baby Jesus. They're right there. This is not a journey. The shepherds would have spoken the same language as Mary and Joseph. We don't know exactly uh, about the wise men, but we can assume that they didn't speak Hebrew, the language of the Jews. And so they're probably coming in with a different language. The shepherds would have shopped at the same malls as them and, and the same restaurants and had the same dad jokes. At least they fit into that category right there. The wise men come from a completely different part of the world. 
And so this is strange. They're, t- they're, they're so opposite. They didn't dress like Mary and Joseph. Uh, and these are the characters that God purposely plucks out of history and puts them into the story of the birth of the Son of God. Why would he do that? What is the point? What is God trying to do here? What, why in the world would God choose shepherds? And why would he choose wise men? There were better choices. You see, God, God just still uses the most unlikely of people. In, in the story of what he is doing in, in this world, in fact, if you find yourself today thinking, like, I, know, I don't know if I'm good enough to, for God to use me. I don't know if I, I don't know enough about the Bible, uh, or I'm not that talented. And Like, just understand, then you're in a perfect spot for God to just reach in and use you as a part of his beautiful story of what he wants to do in this world. God used unlikely people. But I also want you to catch something else from this story, and I want to unpack this quickly, and it's not going to take long. But, but your experience this Christmas is directly related to your attitude and your perspective. Okay, let me, let me unpack this. If you approach Christmas from a materialistic perspective, that is what you will experience. It's what you'll get. If you approach Christmas with a self-centered, me-first attitude, that's what you will experience. But see, understand this. Both the wise men and King Herod were seeking Jesus. Just for very different reasons. Would you agree? Okay. King Herod it was pretending to be authentic in his search of this newborn king. He's totally pretending in this way. He even says to the wise men, let me know where he is so I can come and worship him. Pretending to seek Jesus, but for him, it was about personal gain. It was for selfish reasons. In contrast, the wise men genuinely set out to find what God was doing. They may have been a little nuts in the way that they did things, in the way that they thought in the moment and all of that, but they were sincere in trying to find out what had God done, what was God doing, and where is this new baby that has been promised. They were genuine in that, and they experienced Jesus in a powerful, life-altering way. All the effort that they put in, the distance they traveled, financially what it would have cost for them to do this. Like your experience this Christmas, is, is, it's com- directly related to your attitude, to your perspective, uh, to, to in a way the posture of your heart is a phrase we like to use around here. Uh, how you go about this, the, the mindset that you bring, the, uh, your attitude towards this season. And there are a lot of people celebrating Christmas for all sorts of different reasons. But for some of us, this is going to be different. It's going to be different. And you have a choice, like as we decide or not decide how to seek him this season. Music team, will you please come? Now, three more minutes here before we're done. I want, I want to, you to, I want to push you today. I want, I, I, like, I want to implore you to truly seek him this season. Like, to, to not fall into the commercialized trap that Christmas has become. And I'm not saying that we need to be people who don't buy presents for our kids and have all of those types of things. Put up your Christmas tree and have the lights. I'm cool with that. Okay, sing the songs. Uh, but, but sincerely, don't fall into the mess that this season can become for you when the real reason is the beauty of what God has done. What he's done, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians and he wrote this. He says, though he was God, 
He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus was God. He's the very Son of God, and yet he humbles himself and comes to earth, not to be born in a palace, not to live a life where he was a king, uh, ruling with riches and servants and all of that. Jesus comes, and this is so, it's so unbelievable when you, when you truly begin to think this through. The God of the universe sends his son to be like humble and poor, to live in that place during that time. There's chaos in the Roman Empire, and all of this is, is like, this is a crazy story of the very son of God laying his divinity completely down and being born as a human. He lived life here just like you and me and eventually he would die. He would die on a cross for the world and for people and for you. Christmas is a celebration of Jesus who has come. Please stand with me all over this place. We're gonna end our service today just by singing the words to this song, a simple song. You may not have heard it before, but the words just simply say, I will make room for you to do whatever you would want to. And it's, a, it's really a cry of our heart that says, God, keep me centered, not what I want, not my will, but yours be done. And so we're just gonna sing this together. And so Lord, we worship you. We are grateful for you. We come to you today with all of our stuff. We need you de- desperately, God, in our lives and in our hearts. And we just pray for this. We pray for this moment right here in your name.